welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Um... Once again, my buddy Mike Slinkard is with us. What's up, Mike? Hey, John. How's it going? Good, good. I figured this was the perfect time to call you because I know you're probably going to be untouchable pretty soon. Uh, uh, for the... Starting next week, yeah. <laughs> yeah, next. Or what's your first hunt? I'm going to Idaho to hopefully, uh, hopefully put the hex on an antelope over there, hopefully. So... Uh, Got a tag, do a pretty good tag over there. So hopefully we can uh, get it done next week, and then uh, then our season here in Oregon starts on the 25th of August. So a few days there. Um, then actually, my daughter Caitlin drew a really good tag in New Mexico. So starting August 30th, we're headed out there um, and gonna hunt with my buddy Ralph Ramos out there in New Mexico, and hopefully she can. Uh, Hopefully she can get a good one. So, is it a? Did your daughter get a bull tag? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's yeah, the early archery bull tag. So, uh, so yeah, we're pretty excited about that. So we've got a full full schedule ahead. As soon as we get done with that, we'll be headed back to Oregon and finish out here. So, well, what's going to be your strategy? As hot as it's been, I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say. <laughs> well, early on, yeah, it's going to be water for sure. Um, really dry here in eastern Oregon so um, you know as far as that goes uh, definitely going to be water here as far as our Oregon things goes but um, interestingly enough um, you know the uh, hunting with Ralph down there in uh, in New Mexico he does a lot of his early season calling stuff has been really effective and he's been telling me about it for years I've never been able to you know actually go down and hunt with him before so I'm really uh Really uh, going to be pretty intrigued with uh, with how we how we do it in New Mexico. Might might learn a few things. What is well? I I have good success in Alberta um, calling bulls, and I start I think August twenty fifth. Um, so, but I've always had good good luck with bulls answering. Then, granted, they're not they're not like big herd bulls, you know, but. It, whenever I'm going somewhere for a limited amount of time, you know, I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to shoot the biggest bull in the woods. I'm just really happy getting a bull, especially there. And, you know, some of the satellite bulls are definitely responsive that early. Is that kind of what he's finding too? Well, yeah. Um, but he's killing some big bulls down there too. He really is. I know a buddy of mine went down, uh, I think it was a year before last or maybe, might have been one year before that even, but um, they were there three days. Called in twenty bulls. He ended up shooting a six by six by a three thirty six by six. So, so they're. Uh, but I think the the bull to cow ratio is a lot higher there. So, um, you know, I think the competition for those cows is a little bit more and that kind of thing. So, uh, I mean, I've shot, personally shot a lot of bulls. The you know last week of August, uh, kind of the same thing you've seen. You know, with the cow calls and stuff, particularly getting those uh, younger satellite bulls in. But, uh, 
like I said, he does some different things. I'm going to be excited to hear how he's getting these bigger bulls in. So I don't know whether it's just the makeup of the herd or if he's – sounds like he's doing some different things. So I'm, I'm actually really excited to go down and – and we'll be filming that for our show, of course, and everything. But, uh, yeah, hopefully it goes good. I've done good down there. Um, I, I hunted, I think I used to hunt unit, I think I hunted unit 36 mm-hmm. um, by Riodoso I've hunted, um, mm-hmm. I think is where it was. And I've been down there pretty early, too. And um, I was with a guy one time that shot a 380 bull coming into a, a wallow midday, like opening week. Um, just literally coming in to, to get some cold water and kind of freshen up his little stink pot there. And, um, I mean, it was the biggest bull I had ever seen at that time. I was like, holy smokes, you know, cause it was kind of one of those times where a lot of the big bull, um, hunters always say, you know, it's better kind of later in the month, you know, mid to late month. Um, so yeah, you take your chances, but I think if he's got something going, like you said, I guess some areas are different. I've experienced that with whitetails too. I've had times where, uh, in certain areas, people are like, yeah, I always have a kind of a little bit earlier pre-rut action here. And you kind of think, "Mm, yeah, that doesn't sound like they really know what pre-rut action is, but then you get there and you realize, okay, for whatever reason, there is a little bit different movement um, as compared to other places. So I'm kind of curious to know how it turns out. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about it. We're actually in 34 out of uh, Alamogordo down there. So um, so it's way far south, um, further south than I've ever hunted elk. So, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. Um, like I said, and Ralph is uh, really well-known. He does a lot of seminars all over the country and, you know, pretty well known as an elk caller and elk hunter and guide and that kind of thing. So, I don't know. Like I said, I've uh, I've shot a lot of elk in my life. I haven't the one I shot in Arizona last year was my 43rd bull with a bow. So, <laughs> shot a lot of them. But uh, you know, I'm never always interested to learn learn more. You know, it's uh, it'll be fun. But you're going to be so in hopefully th- we do well. You're in 34. Yeah. Okay, 30, yeah, 34 is just south of my 36 unit, if I remember right. Um, Bruce Berry used to always hunt 34. Do you remember Bruce? I do. I do, actually. Um, yeah, I think uh, he did. And actually, um, uh, I had a buddy here that shot, and God, I'm trying to think of his name now, that he was telling me he shot a 400 bull in 34 uh, year before last, actually. So um, actually, it's Gary Keaton, a um, guy I've known for a long time and pretty good elk hunter uh but yeah he uh he shot a 400 plus bull down there and he got it you know coming into a wallow and stuff in 34 year four last so there's some good ones there i guess so we'll see what happens caitlin's not going to be super picky she's killed one elk with a bow she got a nice nice raghorn five point last year her first one with a bow um i mean she's she's been super successful on everything else i mean gosh she's killed a bunch of deer and we were in africa and she you know I mean, she already got her bear already this year, um, you know, just a few days ago here in Oregon. It opened August 1. I think she shot her bear on the 5th or something like that. But uh, she's a killer, but the elk has been a little bit elusive for her. So hopefully she can get a good one. That's, that's the hope. Oh, yeah. Well, the um, people have been asking about my, my um, antler grips that I have on my bow. And actually, uh-huh. the, the grips that are on my bow, um, the grips that are on Rogan's bow and my buddy Andy's bow, 
a few different friends are actually um, all off the set of uh, antlers from a bull that I shot there in New Mexico on 9-11. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. I'll I'll never forget it. We were it was literally like right at the exact same time, and me and the guy that I was with, we actually doubled up. We shot two bulls in about four minutes, um, and I remember thinking this is gonna be a crazy day. And as we're trying to head out, like walk out of the canyon uh, to head back towards the truck to get packs and stuff there there was literally someone like kind of i don't know if they were running through the canyon or driving a atv through this canyon but they were literally like you know yelling like we're under attack or something i was like what the hell is this guy talking about and then um yeah we got in the truck and turned the truck on and then sure enough it had literally like just happened it just happened and uh i remember I remember getting those two bulls out of there, which was a pretty good feat. And then literally going as fast as we could to the Rio Doso airport. And, uh, I got the last rental car. And then I remember the, uh, I, I forgot what I got. I think I got like a geo, I got like a four door geo Metro or something. And they, the guy told me that I had 24 hours to get that back into a, into a you know like a hertz thing or something so i literally drove that rental car to my buddy's house we pretty much quartered that bull threw the quarters in the back of this thing just threw like we put a big tarp in the trunk and threw all the quarters in there and all the ice and (laughs) and i put the we had to roll both windows down in the back seats and i wedged that rack in in that rental car and the like the head was sitting right on my arm console and we had just got it loaded up and we were about ready to uh to head out and as we're going down his driveway um this really gnarly velvet muley buck literally crossed his driveway and i jumped out with my bow and ran up this hill and kind of just ran through the bush and and kind of came right up on this buck and ended up shooting at about 50 yards. And then I just said, well, we got a little bit more work yet. And I tagged that thing. And then we jumped in the car and I literally made it back to Wisconsin at like 23 and a half hours to turn that rental car back in before the airport was shut down. And, uh, yeah, it was, I'll never forget that. Never forget that. Holy cow, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I think everyone knows where they were on 9-11. Um, but, man, you uh, you made the most of that one. Holy cow, getting two animals and all of that. Man, I remember where I was. I was actually hunting elk then, too. And we were at, made our morning hunt, and we are headed back to camp, and there was this guy running, literally running down the road out in the middle of the brush. Uh, and uh, it actually drew... Here in Oregon, they got a hunt called the Starkey Experimental Forest. So it's a place where they do, and it's a 40-square-mile enclosure, but it's uh, you have to draw to hunt in it, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's all, they're monitoring the hunters and the elk and all that. So it's kind of a different kind of hunt. But anyway, uh, we were in the middle of that, and this crazy guy comes running down the road, and, and like I said, it's kind of the same thing. We had no idea what he was even talking about. 
and then we started listening to the radio, and that's what uh, that it was 9/11. So not quite as uh, event-filled as yours, though. Holy cow! <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget driving, literally driving about every two hours, stopping, throwing more bags of ice in the trunk, and then the looks that I had just booking down the road with this you know with this bull and it you know it was a it was right at about 300 and his uh his tails were like hanging out the back windows and i kind of had that that big caped out head um right in the middle console and i'm just hammer down trying to get back to wisconsin yeah it was uh it was it was quite the quite the event but yeah i guess and actually there was there was another crazy thing that happened on that same hunt that was the last that was the last time i ever shot a uh, a rocket arrowhead i went there with some rocket arrowheads and the very first day i was there we saw a bull and his cows coming along the side of this hill and they were kind of moving at a pretty predictable place, um, kind of getting ready to head right through this little valley. So I, without doing any calls or anything, I just literally banked around and, and got in position to just intercept them. And I got in the perfect little position. I was in a little under a little cedar tree and I could see, you know, cow after cow walking right by. And then I could see the big whale tails coming and I'm like, all right, here we go. I pulled my bow back and literally that bull stepped out at like 25 yards just broadside had no idea i was there i mean you couldn't ask for a better situation and i shot and i saw the the fletchings go like kind of right through what i thought was kind of the perfect spot and the bull uh the bull ran off and i waited a little bit and thought man this thing's money this is done deal started following the the track i could see the track better than i could see the blood and the blood was just so like just spotty i mean just like flicks so i ended up kind of losing blood and went back to where i shot him and started looking all over the place for the arrow and when i found the arrow it literally had a a rocket and it had the i I was shooting steelhead 100s um, which was, I think, about an inch and an eighth or an inch and a quarter cut. Um, but all it had was it. every single blade was sheared off. The head of the little set screws that held those blades in, all of, the heads of the screws were all screwed in, but the pin that goes through the blade and into the opposite side of the ferrule, every one of them was sheared straight off. Oh yeah. And I remember uh I remember calling the old owner at the time his name was Greg and he told me that they had problems with a, a batch of set screws and they were all brittle and that they were just shearing off. And I, I remember being so mad and I borrowed uh I ended up borrowing I ended up borrowing some some Rocky Mountain T100s from Alan Connor. Uh, he was in the same town, and I found Alan, and I'm like, Dude, "What broadheads you have?" And he said, "I'm shooting, uh, I'm shooting some TI 100s." And he had just shot a big bull, like he it was a town in a truck. Uh-huh. He gave me the broadheads he had left, 
And uh, <laughs> that's what I ended up killing my bull with a few days later. Really? Holy cow. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, these these elk are so tough. I mean, they're, like I said, it's, you know, I, of course, here in Oregon, we shoot, uh, you know, we have to shoot uh, fixed blade heads. Um, the, the mechanicals aren't legal here, but um, so I've been shooting those those shuttle tees, those, uh, you know, the uh, the trophy taker shuttle tees for quite a few years, actually. And, you know, I, I have a certain way I sharpen them with a, just a round hone steel and they seem to work really well, but boy, I tell you, it takes these elk are so tough that you got to have something that really hold up well, and and uh, you know it's definitely a definitely a, a, can be a learning experience. But man, that's that's that sucks to, to have to learn it that way. <laughs> <for sure. laughs> have you done have you done much uh, broadhead testing lately? Like different, just different ones for elk. You know, I really haven't. I've been I've been so happy with what I've been shooting. I mean, because they. The, the head that I'm shooting with that curved blade, and, and granted, you do have to sharpen them, and, I, and I'll tell anybody that. I mean, you need to, to be able to sharpen them, and it's pretty easy to do. But, um, you know, they cut a big hole. Um, I've yet to shoot a broadhead that's better at breaking bone than that one, too. Um, and, you know, I, most of the time I shoot clean through my elk. Uh, a lot of times it'll it'll be, uh, you know, hung up on the fletch on the side, but I have two holes most of the time, which I like. and. And, uh, you know, like I said, I really haven't found the need to test a lot. Um, you know, they've been, they've been working, working well, and so that's just what I've been shooting here for the last, gosh, I don't even know, probably 10 years now, I guess. Uh, you know, I just, uh, like I said, I, if it isn't broke, don't fix it, I guess. So, anyway. are, are you shooting the 100s or the 125s? 100s. 100, yeah. I shoot yeah. I shot those for quite a while. I always call them the shoulder folders. Because they make a very distinct sound when they hit. It's like a pop. Yep. And it yep. just it just it literally just drives the hide and blows a big hole going in. And if there's a shoulder bone there, well I've got a I don't know if you saw it when you're here, but I've got a I've got a a front arm um where I hit the just below the humerus of a front arm and blew a perfect bullet hole through the arm with a shuttle T lock. I was mm-hmm. shoot, I was shooting um a real heavy uh, FMJ dangerous game arrow, and uh-huh. it literally just just knocked a perfect bullet hole uh, with all three blades and everything right through that humerus, and like went right through. You know, yeah, it, it did yeah. it. It did it on a really big deer, and uh, yeah, they were they were awesome. I don't know how they are uh, since they've sold in their. I don't. Are they being made here? Are they being made in the same place now? No, they moved. They they moved the production overseas, and I was really tentative about that too. I really was, but you know, to be honest with you, I've got some of their new ones. And well, I shot that big bear. You know, I shot a huge bear this spring, and um, you know, I shot him with one. And of course, I the first shot was you know he was actually double lunged on the first shot. But he kind of ran up the hill, and you know, I, and you know me, I have this uh, this theory that once I shoot him, and the guy have a hole in him, if they're still standing, I shoot him again. So uh, anyway, I went around. He just kind of ran up the hill a little ways, and was sort of kind of walking back down. And uh, I shot him the second time, and I hit his hit right in the spine. I mean, it just it just dropped him in his tracks. And uh, that shuttle tee, and that was one of the one of the new ones, and it still, I mean, it held just like the old ones. I mean, it was completely perfect it was buried it actually went all the way through the spine 
and was sticking out the other side of the so I just had to unscrew it and pull the arrow back through the spine you know to get it out but uh but yeah I mean so far I you know I can't really say anything bad about them they're consistent and they're straight and uh you know so like I said I I, I was a little tentative as well but so far so far I'm not seeing anything uh anything to be worried about so we're going to keep using them anyway yeah, I got a I actually ordered um I was a big fan of the Trophy Taker uh field points because I really uh-huh. li- I love that washer that they have on there so they don't unscrew. And um w- once they sold and they started making those overseas, I ordered a pack and got a pack um from Lancaster about I don't know, 2 or 3 weeks ago and every single one has a wobble. Really? Huh. <laughs> I was so mad. Be darn. Yeah. Yeah. I I just I hate it when that happens like when they, you know, if a company gets bought and the QC goes down the toilet, it yeah. it, it really sucks. Um, yeah, it does. And I was worried about that with these two and that's why I was really tentative with it, but like I said, I mean, you know, who knows where it'll end up, but right now I certainly at least the ones that I've gotten have been they've been pretty good. So I'm, I'm so far, I'm pretty happy with it, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Sometimes when, sometimes when things, uh, change hands, the, you know, the, uh, priorities kind of switch sometimes seems like, but, uh, so far so good on the, on the shelties anyway. Oh yeah. Full disclosure, by the way, if you're hearing clicking, which you probably are, I'm, uh, I'm so far behind right now that I'm actually fletching arrows during this podcast. <laughs> so nothing wrong with that it's yeah multitasking. yeah it's good because I, I really i wanted to have you on this podcast um for a couple reasons one is one is i want to talk um about some heck stuff with you because i got a lot of calls um and you know from some pretty dang high profile friends too who who got to see a whole bunch of hex in action during shark week not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that stuff's replaying. So now there's like these people that are raising eyebrows a little bit. And then, um, well, and then there's, there's also some rumors of, you know, of a, some hex technology being used in the military now. Um, which mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how much I can say about that, but I know that it's being used in some, some pretty yep. some pretty important areas, um, which I assume was was tested by them before they reached out to you. So all this is important for me because I've been a hex user for so long, and one of the things that kind of stinks about it is on the whitetail or elk side of things, there's just not independent studies about six cents. You know, there's just it's like the best testimonies are from people that use it. And I constantly see people that, that buy, you know, one of our hex suits like through our website. And then they'll say, you know, here's been my experience. And, um, you know, whether it's birds on them or squirrels, you know, way more, you know, small game interaction or even having, you know, been in super close proximity of a really mature deer that they've been after for a while and then not getting an opportunity and then still saying what's awesome about it is I wasn't busted. Like, you know, I feel like even though I didn't get my shot in, in most cases, he would have totally busted me and he literally acted like I wasn't even in that same spot. 
And I think that's really important, especially for guys that are hunting who have to hunt the same like general area all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Because I just did a an article for Peterson's bow hunting for the for the fall rut prediction. It's kind of their main article for the year, and you know I predicted like when I think are some of the best times to hunt. And I talked a lot about you know moon phase and how that that's a big part of why I hunt. And I found a very very interesting study um, about the moon's effect um, on fish. A very very cool study, and it's I think personally I think it's relative to animals but you know what's funny is a lot of people agree with me on the moon thing and a lot of people that that try it they go out and have success Uh, but one of the things that I found with moon phase is that there's people that are skeptics to the moon phase and there's some people that say that scientifically there's no evidence that the moon affects animals movements or predictability which i feel like that in some way relates to hex too because you know there's there's people that want to argue what kind of research there is out there on that and i just i'm a believer in what i've seen and what i've experienced and even though people can say that there's no direct effect with the moon i can tell you right now looking back through history the moon has a massive effect on my success when i when i pay attention to it and regardless of uh what research may or may not be i would just my research uh isn't being included when it should um and i think the same things um the case for hex i feel like yeah, I think you're right, John. Actually, it's it's somewhat similar. Um, you know, Hex, when we came out with Hex, I mean, we tested a lot ourselves, and, and we did have some studies done originally, um, and, you know, that led to patents and all that kind of thing. But, um, you know, when you experience it for yourself, very much like the moon phase, I mean, I've, I'm the same thing. I mean, I can tell you when the rut's going to start in earnest for elk um, on moon phase, between the moon phase and the uh, and the equinox between those two things, I can pretty much tell you when, if it's going to be a late rut, early rut, anything like that. And, you know, science will say, oh, there's no scientific uh, explanation for that. But we all know that we've seen that. And HEX is very similar. Interestingly enough, for those of the people out there who may not have been following our, our story, you know, we actually launched this thing in 2010. So we've been out there for a while. And it's always interesting to me as as we look back on, you know, we used to be the crazy guys that, you know, we were just the next gimmick, I guess. A lot of people looked at us like that. But the thing is, is when people started using it, they were seeing, you know, they're seeing the differences, just kind of like what we're talking about with the moon phase. But the interesting thing is now, I mean, hex technology is, is becoming much more accepted, even in the scientific realms. I mean, we've got, uh, you know, wildlife biologists, marine biologists, uh, veterinary uh, people are using it. Um, and we mentioned the military. The military is using our wetsuits, um, you know, to, to be less, uh, you know, less effective of, of anything that's underwater that they're dealing with, plus a little bit of safety factor as well because a lot of fish pick up on the electrical fields and that's how they actually hunt. But, uh, you know, they're also using it because they found, and actually the military has been testing our stuff since about 2011, and 
you know, it's it's hard to know what they're doing because they're not real open about a lot of their testing. But um, we were actually approached um, a few years back by a uh, uh, basically a, a retired uh, four-star general, a retired three-star general, and a colonel that knew all about us. They approached us at uh, actually the NWTF show and asked if uh, we were interested in uh, working with them on the military side. And that's where that's all come from. Um, we're actually now supplying the military through Aardvark Tactical out in California, uh, mostly because they have the clearances to get it where it needs to go and everything. But, you know, the reason that the guys are using it is that they're able to, in covert situations, not be alerted, um, you know, by dogs and other animals that won't, uh, won't tip them off. So, you know, you can talk about the, all the scientific research that's out there, but, you know, the fact of the matter is people are using it and seeing the difference out there. And there is more research. Um, for instance, when we launched, a lobster had 100%. They, they were not uh, picking up on electrical fields, and now 100% they are. <laughs> so, you know, like I said, science is changing as we go th- as we're going through this and, and being much more, much more accepted. Uh, you mentioned Shark Week. I mean, you know, Hex was on, I think, just about every new Shark Week episode um, you know, was featuring hex technology. And those guys are using that because it blocks that electrical field that sharks are known to pick up on. Um, you know, and, and so, you know, the technology is getting out there. It's being more accepted all the time. Um, also, another one that we're really excited about was uh, uh, Forrest Galante, who is a, a biologist that's been using hex for many years. Actually, he's hosting a show on Animal Planet called Extinct or Alive, and they use hex quite a bit in that. Um, interestingly enough, he actually was using a hex head cover, which uh, this is something we haven't really tested that much, but he put it over a game camera, and they actually captured game camera footage of a Zamzibar leopard that was supposed to be extinct. So, you know, it's, there's some kind of cool stuff with that, and, of course, they use hex to interact with all kinds of animals on that show. And, you know, we've got some more stuff coming forward, too, that I think people will start to see this fall that I'm not quite at liberty to talk about yet. But um, the the bottom line is is that yeah hex is real technology it's backed by five patents and and uh you know while a lot of the you know mainstream research out there you know may still be um a little bit gray on it um you know that's not great at all for the people that are using it and uh, you know that's the, that's the thing and and we're excited about seeing that so far you know really it's almost unheard of that we have somebody with a hex suit that you know hasn't seen a you know, a, a definite advantage with it at some point or another. Yeah, one of the things that I like about it too is, um, you know, it gives any type of camo person the ability to utilize utilize it because it's not a, you know, it's not like an outer piece. It's essentially just, it's a barrier, you know, it's a, it's a barrier piece that, um, you know, I wear over my base layers and under my outerwear is where I wear mine. And, you know, you, you get the, you get the benefit of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the way we designed it is, and it's important for people to know that it's not something that you have to wear on the outside. The way our way hex works, if anybody is not familiar with it, 
you know, we have a conductive carbon grid that's woven into the into the fabric, and it's in a specific grid pattern and a, and a specific conductivity. So it's made to block the electrical energy that our bodies create. You know, every time your heart beats, every time you move a muscle, it's pretty common knowledge that, you know, we're all electrical beings. Well, those those are actually fields that travel outside of our body, and what we're what we're figuring out more all the time is that it's those electrical fields that really a lot of animals are picking up on number one to tell what's living and what isn't because only living beings emit these electrical fields and they're measurable i mean we've got meters that measure them and, and medical sciences has been measuring for years um but it's those electrical fields that animals use as the tip off to know that they're you know close or looking at something that's actually living and and instinctually they have to pay attention to that so that's what we're about. Basically, we work like the door on the microwave. When the electrical field leaves our body, it, it, it contacts that conductive fiber, actually can't pass through because we've sized and shaped that grid right, and it's actually held in capacitance. When you touch ground, it grounds out. So it's a really proven way of blocking electrical fields, but uh, you know the difference it makes is, is pretty profound in a lot of a lot of cases. Um, you know, you're not invisible. You obviously, the, you know, you still got to keep the wind right and all that kind of thing. And but the cool thing is you can use it right with your other, uh, you know, all your other products as well. And and so you can get the benefit of hex and still be able to use your favorite camel pattern or or whatever. So it's uh, it's pretty neat technology. What would you say was the number one encounter that you had? that literally would make you say there's no way no way that you could you could say that this doesn't work have you had well, that you know originally um i started using it uh in the elk woods and i had some pretty crazy stuff happen i actually had a a yearling cow actually stick her head inside a blind and sniff my camera lens um and never then they had about 30 head around us and nobody ever spooked and that that was pretty crazy but to be really truly honest the one that that was undeniable that that you can never get away with was when i when i used it hunting turkeys um being able to get to full draw on a turkey when he's looking at you at 10 yards that never happens ever and uh I mean, I've shot over 30 of them now with my bow that way. I shot three this this spring uh, here in Oregon that way. Every one of them right out in the open, um, not anything between us, uh, and every one of them was looking right in my direction. I got to full dry every single time, which I have, like I said, I've not yet been busted drawn on a turkey. So that one, are, that's the one that you really just can't argue with. It's it's because that never happens, ever, <laughs> you know, so... Those are the ones that uh, really were the over-the-top stuff, and it continues to be the turkey hunters continue to be the the ones that are like, oh my god, I just can't believe it. So, but uh, yeah, like you, said, it works it works with everything. You keep um, you're constantly on me about that. You're like, dude, you need to try this. I'm my like my old Mississippi instincts are like, okay, even if it does work, I still would rather kill the turkey from where he can't see me. <laughs> I, I get it but i tell you what if you do it it will change the way you hunt turkeys with a bow because it makes it so much nicer because you know we don't use blinds um there are some instances here you know i've got a couple of places where the birds like to roost and you know and in, in, in the spring our weather's kind of goofy sometimes so i've got a couple of places where i put a blind up but i just put the camera person in there and we set out in front 
which seems kind of weird, but it's to show that technology working. But outside of those areas, I mean, literally, I just I just bring a chair that I can shoot out of well that rotates, set it up, get a little back cover. You don't need a lot, and it, it's fun because you don't have to. You're not stuck to that blind. You can, you know, if they don't go where uh, you know where your blind is, you can get out and chase them and. And it's a, it adds a whole dimension to your archery, uh, your archery turkey hunting for sure. I've um, last several hunts where I told you I'm like, dude, I don't think I would have ever got away with this if I wasn't wasn't wearing it. Um, and I'm I'm excited because in the past I was so limited on my ability to talk about it because I more or less had like a gag order in mm-hmm. my in my my old outerwear contract so to speak um but then i actually got that change two years ago which was awesome because i could kind of come out and talk about it more and actually wear it wear the collar outside of my you know my mock necks and stuff which is why i wore those mock necks all the time but uh i feel you really me as a whitetail hunter um i feel like you you really can appreciate it when you do a late season hunt where you have mass numbers of animals close. And you, you came last year and hunted, um, hunted here in Iowa, and you were in one of the ground blinds, one of the redneck blinds that were on the ground. And I can't. Did you have a pretty good number of deer come out? I can't really remember. Oh, yeah, that that first night was incredible. Um, you know, we had deer literally within ten yards of that blind gosh for a couple of hours and we just got unlucky you know we had those two big bucks big shooter bucks that were coming up towards us they were probably 120 out feeding right towards us and the deer that had already went past the blind had went up and there's a road there and and some cars went by and you know it was right after the gun season and kind of kind of stirred the deer up and so consequently our big bucks didn't come by us but yeah they were all over us they never busted us at all um and that really is a huge advantage, particularly when you're trying to, you know, trying to target a particular animal. You know, I mean, uh, most of the time it's non-target animals that get you busted. So, um, so yeah, it's a big advantage. Big advantage. So. Yeah, for sure. That's the case with elk and obviously late season whitetails because a lot of times, you know, like you said, you're not trying to shoot the first one that comes by you it's like they always send the they always send the pawns by <laughs> they always yeah. send send the pawns down the road first and uh you know you have to let all those get by you and not have and not have them freak out and i've actually um i've been with people where i've had turkeys walk by blinds and get weirded out for like no reason uh you know and then i've kind of wondered you know i wonder if they're seeing something, you know, this guy, maybe it's because he doesn't have something on, but I've definitely had times with turkeys where there's a big group of hens and there's a lot of eyeballs and it's like, what the heck did they just see? You know, something totally tipped them off, but there's no explanation to it. Um, and I think there's, I think there's, I don't think it's coincidence. I think there's, rel- I think there's relevance to it. Well, with our meters, incidentally, I mean, it's, you know, you talk about sitting inside a blind, even though, you know, you're, you've got a blind all the way around you and everything like that, the fabric of that blind isn't stopping your electrical field. It'll go right through it. Um, you know, if you've ever watched one of our one of our meter tests online or if you've ever been to one of the trade shows that we do where we have our meter, 
you know, we can literally put a piece of fabric over our meter. If it doesn't have the grid in it, it's not going to stop that field at all. Now, you know, you can definitely get away with more inside of a blind, but um, but those the, the field actually does go through, and it's something that they will pick up on. It's not as readily as they will if you're sitting in the open, no doubt, but uh, there's no doubt about it. I know one time when we first started hunting turkeys and um, Scott Eastman, my partner, was actually, he was using a blind at that point, and he had, uh, you know, hex on and the gloves and everything, and he had a Jake right in front of the blind, you know, five feet in front of the blind. And just uh, just to test, he took his glove off, his hex glove off, out of sight of the turkey. So it's inside the blind where the turkey couldn't see it. Takes his, takes his glove off. This bird's just sitting there pecking around, not paying any attention at all, and starts just flexing the muscles in his hand and moving his hand around. Now, not in sight of the turkey, down inside the blind. And, and lo and behold, it wasn't very long. That bird kind of raised his head up, and he was just out of there. So there's no doubt that, that, that they can still pick it up that way. There's no doubt at all. Um, and turkeys and all birds see it visually. We do know that, and our science has actually confirmed that. Um, so birds actually see it visually. So it's a literal visual signal um, to them. Um, you know, there's a lot of different theories on big game. Um, there's some new studies that just came out on canines that they actually have the same molecule in their eye that birds do. It's a highly uh, electrically conductive molecule called cryptochrome. And they've now discovered that also in canines, which kind of explains why it's a really big deal with canines, uh, not only dogs, but also, uh, you know, coyotes and wolves and everything else, too. So uh, it's, there's a lot to learn, and it's kind of been, it's been a lot of fun being involved with it. Have you ever noticed that some dogs can, like, see lasers and some dogs can't? Um, I don't know. I haven't really played with the laser thing so much. Because you, uh, you know how uh, some, some people can move a laser around on the floor and their dog or cat uh-huh. goes crazy? Right. Right. Like I've had several dogs and mine's included where I can move a laser around in front of her all I want and literally has no idea. Like, really? Interesting. Yeah. No idea. So it's almost, um, yeah, it's almost weird if, if they're all, if they all have the exact same thing. I've seen it with multiple things, multiple times. And I've had people where they're like, yeah, for whatever reason, my cat never even looks at the laser. I've tried it. Yeah. So I don't know if there's a difference in red lasers or if there's a difference in eyeballs but i've definitely noticed it you know i know i know that there's a difference in individual dogs um on you know when they're interacting with x i mean we've never seen or even heard of an aggressive uh response at all but um you know the most common thing with with like when people put on the hex suit and they get around their dog for the first time a lot of times it'll be kind of standoffish kind of won't act like it doesn't know who you are for a little while that kind of thing and it wears off you know once you talk to the dog and pet it and all that kind of stuff he's good with it after a while but the initial reaction is usually there and sometimes it's sometimes it's a lot different with some dogs than others so sometimes it's kind of a mild thing and then sometimes i mean i've seen for instance, my daughter's dog, I mean, when the first time it was ever around her and Hex, she didn't have the head net on or anything, just the top and the bottom, walked out, and the dog who she raised from a pup barked at her and ran to the other side of the room. <laughs> so, you know, so it's just a, it's, it's, it's like anything, individuals are different, and I suppose probably different breeds might uh, be different. But like I said, it's, it's, uh, there is an effect just about all the time on, on those kind of animals. What um, 
I want to change subjects because mm -hmm. there were two things I wanted to talk about. One, I wanted to talk about Hex with you because I knew I hadn't got to talk to you just to ask you how the feedback was after after the Shark Week stuff because um, I know I certainly got feedback, people asking about it, being like, well, hey, wait a minute. Um, so I was kind of curious how your feedback was for that, uh, which you said it was good. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, amazing. Uh, you know, we were on about three or four shows last year and got a little bit, but being, I mean, it was it was front and center on, you know, gosh, we were on Ronda Rousey and uh, a bunch of other, you know, a bunch of other people as well and some of the best shark experts in the world, and it definitely got some attention. And those people that have, you know, the hunting side, because that's where we've been focusing most of our sales efforts because that's what I am. I'm a hunter. I know the hunting market. Um, those guys that were, you know, already uh, uh, aware of what Hex was, it really, it really did help them. And, and uh, you know, they, it was a, kind of a neat uh, legitimacy piece, I guess, for those that uh, might have skeptical buddies and stuff like that. It's like, hey, look, guess where this Hex stuff is? So it was kind of cool. Yeah, good feedback. Well, the next thing I want to talk about is fletchings because um, I know you've done a ton of testing on that and you shoot – you're not a three-fletch kind of guy. You know, you shoot no, – I haven't been for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like I'm late to that bandwagon too. I'm, I'm shooting a four-fletch configuration right now and I can't believe – that it's taken me this long to 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 just be a hundred percent positive that this is a great choice i mean i've yeah. i've played with it and i actually shot four fletch on on target rigs in the past 3d rigs um but from a hunting arrow scenario it's like why am i so late to this table <laughs> Well, you know, I take it one step further. I shoot six, um, you know, and and you know, and I shot I shot four for years, um, and you know, I four fletch. I you know, being a fixed blade guy because we're here in Oregon, we have to do that. Um, it I was always looking for ways to get better access out of my out of my fixed blade heads and, and all of that kind of thing, of course. And but the one thing that that really kind of got me. Um, even going further than that was, you know, that the the sound the arrow actually makes in flight, and you know we see this when, you know, with you know deer or whatever ducking your arrows when they get there, and and I was shooting a a four fletched blazer configuration, great accuracy, they shot good, they controlled my my broadheads well, but I just I mean it seemed like every time we turn around I would shoot, and and when we're watching the film. I mean, the animal's reacting, and then they're not reacting to the bow. They're reacting to the sound of the arrow coming. And that what kind of prompted me to do a bunch of testing on not only, uh, you know, fleshings that would, would be accurate enough and, and enhance the, uh, the uh, broadhead accuracy, but also actually be quieter. And when I started doing that, it, I, I did. I took a couple of weeks, and, and, I mean, I fletched up every configuration you can imagine from three-fletch, low-profile, you know, three inch to five inch, uh, you know, four fletch, every configuration you can imagine, and then the six as well. And the reason I did the six really quite honestly is I saw Randy Ulmer when I was visiting him. I saw that he had some six fletch, and anytime Randy's playing with something, it's something you need to pay attention to. So, <laughs> but, uh, 
anyway, what I found was I found a six-fletch configuration. I'm just using a three-inch. Um, the ones that I'm, I'm using right now are the uh, are the Norways, but um, you know I also use flex-fletch and some of the other ones as well. Actually, I, I need to get some from you because I need to try this with yours as well. But uh, um, but the six-fletch hard helical. Um, has been the one that's really become my my go-to thing. Number one, it's it's actually quieter than three or four fletch in flight, and I can't tell you why that is. You would think it would be more, but I think it just has to do with the way the air travels around the around the fletching. No, I 100% agree. I've been telling people that my four fletch is is definitely quieter than my three, and I think yeah. I think it has to do with airfoil. 100%. I think instead of slicing air, you're you're creating like an airfoil around the around the arrow versus, you know, three distri- distinct cuts through the air. Um, or maybe it's the way the the vein vibrates with a 4 versus a 3, but it is definitely quieter than a 3 in flight. Yeah, no doubt. You know, the way I tested it is I just took my shotgun mic off of my video camera, which is very you know, I, I mean, they're pretty sensitive, and literally, I just shot arrows over the top of my video camera, and then I, when I put it in the editor, you can literally look, because it'll tell you what the audio level is, and you can literally look and see which one's making more noise, and of course, you can hear it coming by as well, and and it is. It's it's a huge difference, but the other thing, and it's really nice, is more fletching, you know, the more you've got back there, it helps control that fixed blade so much better. Um, broadhead tuning, I can put just about any broadhead on my arrow as long as it's straight, and it's going to be pretty dang accurate. It really is. It's going to group with my feel points, and it's just, uh, it's really, really made the broadhead tuning side of, of the process a lot easier. Um, and I, and I, like I said, four fletch worked good for me too. It really did. It, it was more of a sound thing for me. And when I, when I hit on that, that six fletch where the sound was less and surprisingly to most people, it really doesn't add, even at long range, it, it adds a little bit of drag, but not, uh, not enough to, to, to really make it, uh, something that, we, that concerns me anyway. Um, I mean, they're super accurate all the way out. Mine, my, I think I can shoot out to 135 with my bow now with my rover pin, and still clear the site, and I mean, it, it, they shoot accurate, and, and it's uh, it's been a really good move. Now, how much how much difference do you think there is? Did you check the difference in drop between the four and the six? I mean, like well, so- I what I do is I use the Arches Advantage program on my long range stuff, and what I did is I just plugged in a four fletch, uh, three inch four fletch uh, configuration. And um, then the way I do mine, because I've got six pins to 80, and I just use my 80 as my rover. Um, and what I did there is I just shot in um, using my 60-yard my pin. I would put it at, tw- or I'm sorry, my 20-yard pin. And then I would use my 20-yard pin down to 60, and that gave me my gap. And then I just plug it into Archer's Advantage using a four-fletch thing. I mean, I'm solid to 135. So... I didn't take each one and test and see how far they are, but I mean, they're, they sure work that way. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's about as far as I got with it. I probably should. I just don't have the time I used to have back in the old days. I I spent a lot more time, you know, testing each little thing and I'm more now, I guess I'm getting older or whatever. I get something that works well and I'm happy with it. I just kind of stay with it for the most part, but uh, you know, unless there's something that really piques my interest. 
Did so? Do you do you even factor in FOC? You know, I used to think it was a lot bigger deal than I now believe that it is, um, <laughs> because I'm shooting a wrap on the back of my on the back of my, and I also shoot a lighted knock. So I've got a lot of weight. I'm about five percent FOC. And oh, wow. There was a time I would never have shot an arrow like that, ever. But you know, again, I think that the fact that number one, it's got that arrow spinning. And I did test this. My six fletch are, are spinning two and a half times faster than a than a three fletch. Um, and and so because of the helical and because the extra vein is just putting that much more spin on it, um, you know, I think that uh, that plays a big role in kind of maybe maybe taking that FOC factor out a little bit. Um, you know, because like I said, I'm shooting so so light FOC that most uh, and there was a time I wouldn't even have considered that, but. Um, I mean, if if I mean if I'm shooting well, I can hold a, you know, a six or an eight inch group at 130 yards. I mean, holy cow, how much better can you get? You know, it's, it, your stuff's working. You know. Have so, you um? Did you ever talk with Randy about that? I don't know if I've ever even got on that subject with him ever. You know, I I don't I I, I haven't really talked about that particularly with Randy, but uh, it would be really interesting to know because. I can tell you one thing: if there's anybody on this planet that's tested something and knows about it, it's Randy. So, no doubt about it. It'd be an interesting subject to talk to him about. But. Yeah, I know he shoots. I know he normally shoots a little bit of extra weight on his inserts, um, but I don't know if he really pays attention to an FOC percentage number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I've never really asked him uh, directly about that, but. Uh, I know I, I used to pay a lot of a lot more attention to it than I do now. So um, I'm more of a like I said now if I if I can shoot a group like I can shoot, um, you know if I do my job, which is like every, everything else. Um, but on a good day, I mean if you're holding those kind of groups at, at long range, I mean if they'll hold at 135, they'll dang sure hold at 50 where you ought to be shooting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, you know. yeah, no question. One, you know, uh, I'm trying to think when it was. It was one of my first podcasts. I was talking with um, James Park. I need to get him back on. I really like Jim. Such a good guy. And I actually, and maybe I didn't talk about it on the podcast. He sent me, he actually sent me a paper, which was kind of his doctrine, um, a mathematic paper. And it was relative to Aeroflight. And I had asked him the question if he believed that when it came to steering a broadhead, if a lower FOC would actually be better because of the fact that you give more power to the steering part of the shaft, mm-hmm. um, more so than given the power of the broadhead to have control. And I know this is like, this is a subject that's, it's a pretty serious debate right now because there's there's a lot of i mean i've talked about it several times and i actually just did another podcast with uh aaron snyder about foc again because he went on this foc rampage where he's had all kinds of experts on he's had ashby on um he's had several guys on that are all talking about their beliefs to foc and there's this huge craze right now going to a really massive foc and i'm just still in the position of when it comes to how arrows 
shoot out of my compound at my speeds and when I'm putting different projectiles on the front, I just know what actually groups. If you take all the you know percentages out of the equation, um, you know I feel like there's there's certain things that can't come down to a percentage. There's certain things that just have to come down to how this thing literally flies through the air and gets from point A to point B. And I like having some added front of front weight because honestly I like an overall I like a slightly heavier overall arrow. So like the arrows that um that that I'm selling right now, you know, they're packaged with um fifty grain brass standard you know, 50 or 75. I don't have light inserts. And I just feel like that gives people the ability to shoot a four fletch or a six fletch or a lighted knock. And they still have a relatively, you know, average or healthy FOC. Um, But it's not, it's also not on the extreme end. You know, it's not on, on what I think is the extreme end because I'm just not convinced or no one has convinced me yet, um, which the only way they're going to do that is by showing me on, you know, in air on a target. Um, but no one's convinced me that you have to have a 20% FOC, uh, in a hunting situation. I mean, I just, you know, know, I know people have made arguments about, you know, if you're trying to, to, you know, to shoot through brush and stuff like that, that having that, that, that heavier point weight leading the way certainly helps, you know, keep the impact the same, which, yeah, I could see where that's the case, but I honestly don't normally try to ram freaking arrows through brush. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, well, so, you know, I agree completely. You know, like I said, the, I'm shooting really light FOC and, and now if I were, you know, if I were going to Africa or whatever, and I really wanted to to maximize penetration and and heat, you know, and I wanted to weigh things up, I would definitely put it in the front, obviously. But you know, you think about um, what's going on when that when that arrow's flying through the air, you know, and and like I said, the one thing that my arrows do versus just about any other configuration is they have a lot of spin. So if you're, you know, if you go to like the rifle side of things, you know, guys are are making, you know, different twists in the rifle barrels to make their bullets spin faster, and it's all about accuracy. Um, and so I think that's that's something that a lot of archers have really not thought about too much. I mean, it's, you know, the theory of having the the front point pulling the arrow along makes a lot of sense. I mean, from a from a conceptual standpoint. But when you add the factor of, of spin, it's just like throwing a, a spiral football. I mean, the faster it spins, the more accurate it is. Um, I really think that has a lot to do with the, with the reason why I can get in the way with a really light front of center and still maintaining great accuracy. I really think that's a lot to it. And it's something that you know, a lot of archers really haven't thought about too much is what the arrow's actually doing from a, you know, from a spin perspective. Um, we know that it makes rifle bullets more, more uh, accurate. I mean, obviously, you can get them spinning too fast as well in the rifle world, but <clears throat> I'm not sure. I'm not convinced that you can make an arrow spin too fast, particularly if you're shooting a fixed blade head, because it just takes the control away from that head, because it's spinning. You know, basically, the, the it's letting your fletchings control the arrow instead of the so the broadhead. So. 
Well, I think there's one thing that one factor that's important there, and that's um, how well that arrow's retaining its energy with that spin. Because one thing I will tell you is I've seen I've seen some cases where um, I've had some guys that come out to the target fields with a, a a 3D arrow that's very very light that has um, you know I've seen guys come out with like quick spins or you know super aggressive uh, mm-hmm. offsets or helicals, but they have an arrow that's really losing its speed. You know, it's decelerating really fast after a certain distance. Normally, after about 70 meters, starts to decelerate pretty quick. Mm-hmm. And I've just seen that those groups start to open up pretty fast when they're if they're spinning too fast and they're and they're decelerating at at a you know if they're not retaining their energy or their efficiency, then I feel like that spin, you know even if it's spinning fast coming out, it's almost like a parachute effect. And if it's not retaining its energy, it starts to open up at those longer distances. Yeah, I know. I, I know where you're coming with, uh, you know, coming from on that. Um, and I think maybe arrow weight might have something to do with that too. You know, if you're shooting something that's a lighter arrow weight, that's actually going to be decelerating faster anyway, that could, uh, could have something to do with that as well. Um, but I, I do definitely understand, you know, the spin is going to have a, more of a drag on it like i said i haven't been really been able to tell it that, that much um and certainly not in, in in penetration or anything in a hunting situation but i think you're probably right about that my arrows are weighing right in right, right around 460 so they're not super light but they're not super heavy either so that's uh, kind of where mine are mine are weighing in now but uh yeah i i, I have I, I know exactly what you're talking about if if it's decelerating too fast then you know the, it's basically what's happening is slowing down and it's giving you uh, you know less margin for error yeah yeah it's like a it's almost like a parachute effect well one one other thing i did want to talk to you about is um you shoot pse and you know i like to uh i like to talk about all brands um i've had guests on here that um you know were really familiar and everything with bowtech and um, you know, I've had some Matthews guys on here in the past, um, and um, one of one of the kind of the one of my students, I should say. She's I don't I don't know if I should call her a student because she's a friend, but Bailey's also been a Matthews shooter in the past, and I've had her on talking about Matthews and things. Um, but I've never really had anyone um, super familiar with PSE, and I know that that's what you shoot. Um, I've actually uh, had one. I got one of the carbon ones, and uh, just because there was, I had curiosity on it because you, when you were here last year, you had one, and you told me that you really liked how the cam felt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just wanted to to feel it for myself to get some, you know, get a little bit more familiar with it, um, and then yeah, I'm kind of curious just just so that I can make sure I, I fit the, the niche of the PSC shooters out there. Um, I want to throw a little love their way and, um, full disclosure. No, I'm not going to PSE. Uh, <laughs> okay. you know, everyone's going to be like, Oh my gosh, he left under armor last podcast. Now he's talking about a PSE. No, I think it's only right that I'm fair. Um, I haven't really had a chance to, to let someone say their piece on, 
what they what they like about PSE, and I, I've done it with other brands. So I think you're you're certainly someone that I hold credible. So um, I want to give you that chance if you want to take it. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I mean, just full disclosure for me, I've shot a lot of different brands of bows. Um, you know, I've shot Matthews, Hoyt. Um, More than me. More than me, for sure. Yeah, I've changed around. I mean, Elite. I've, I've shot, I mean, I won't say everyone out there, but one time or another, I've probably shot most of the brands out there. And, you know, there's there's very it's difficult to find a bow that I would call just a piece of junk anymore. There might be a few, but not very many. Um, but back when I was shooting a lot of tournament archery and stuff, I shot PSE and, and, uh, you know, I liked a lot of their stuff back then. And like I said, I, I experimented with just about everything out there from one cams to binary to, to, to whatever. But, um, this one that I'm shooting now, I'm shooting the carbon stealth. Um, I had the carbon air last year, um, but it has that evolve. Yep. 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 But it's got that evolve cam on it. And, for me, um, see, I have a hard time with with cams that I call them short valley cams. So they're the ones that you know are, are if you go to let them up, they kind of jerk out of your hands and that kind of thing. And and I have a I always have a hard time with those, um, mostly because it's just uh, I, I feel like I've got to pull into the wall harder than I like. I like to pull into the wall, but not feel like I have to just pound it. Uh, otherwise, it feels like it's come out. Particularly when you're shooting uphill, because um, drawing gets a little bit shorter. Um, it's just when it, just the way it kind of works when you're shooting uphill, particularly. And some of the some of the hard cams that that I, I call them kind of a jumpy cam, you know, they kind of get away from you a little bit sometimes. And so this cam isn't that way. It's got a fairly good valley on it, fairly good length on it. But um, a couple things that I really like about this bow. Number one is um, you know I like the draw cycle. I like the feel of it. It works well for me. But also the ability to adjust that cam, really you can adjust it a half an inch either way just with a with an Allen wrench, just moving the, the mods and not actually lose a whole lot of performance, which which for me is nice because I like to, you know, I'm a, I'm a 28-inch draw normally, but sometimes I want to, particularly like if I'm going to be hunting where it's cold and I know I'm going to be bundled up, maybe I want to go down a half an inch. And I can do that very easily with this and give myself a little more arm clearance and that kind of stuff. So... Um, but that, and then, you know, this bow, for whatever reason, I mean, the thing holds on target well and, and, you know, it's, it's quiet and it just shoots well. And, and like I said, it's not a, not that there aren't other great bows out there. There's a lot of great bows out there, but for my money, I mean, this, this is honestly one of the best ones I've ever shot in my life. Um, the carbon air and the carbon stealth. The stealth is a little different. I, the the grip on the stealth is bigger, and it took me a little bit of time to kind of get used to that. Yeah, um, yeah, that is one know. thing I didn't particularly like. But yeah, I but, didn't really either. But I've kind of gotten used to it, you know. Now, because um, you know, I don't grab the whole grip anyway. Actually, you're just contacting on the back of your hand anyway, and it's fairly thin that way. It's just kind of big to hold on to, but. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it's a good shooting good shooting rig and and uh, you know like I said I kind of almost felt like I was coming home to to PSE uh, here a couple of years ago when we when we kind of quit messing around with some other stuff and that's where I've you know shot most of the time when I was uh, when I was shooting competitively as well so uh, but yeah I mean like I said that the there that Evolve cam in my opinion is one of the best cams out there. Yeah, I started with PSE. Well, the first bow that I bought was a PSE Thunderflight, I think. 
think that was mm -hmm. the first one I ever bought. Steel cables. Yeah. Might might yeah. have been I don't know, it might have been a fireflight. Some I don't even know what it was. One of those. Um I remember I wanted an XLR nine hundred really bad, but they were too expensive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, remember those days too. Yeah. Um but the I guess just from from my aspect on if I'm gonna give you a, a honest review, um and I won't give a full review just because I feel like that's that's fair because I am a Hoyt shooter. Um, but I will say, yeah, I do like the feel of the cam. Um, and I'm also like Mike, I call myself, um, I, I feel like I'm active on the back wall, but I also like the ability to be lazy on the back wall. Um, I feel like that's why I shot single cams really, really well for a lot of years because I've never, I never grew up with a very demanding cam with a short valley. So I've just never like my muscle memory isn't tuned into that. So there's certainly, and there's Hoyt shooters. There's guys in the Hoyt factory that, that love the higher let off. And there's guys that love the lower let off. And I actually prefer the higher let off stuff myself. Um, just because I don't like the feel of something getting taken away from me. And sometimes sometimes I do creep. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes I do, I do break down or if I'm, if I'm tired, my shot gets a little weak and I don't like a cam where it feels like it's going to take it away from me. Um, right now on my hunting setup, I'm, I changed over to the, uh, to the lower let off mods on my RX one ultra because I've got to, um, I've got to go to Montana for a few hunts so i want to make sure that i'm legal for that and it's tough to change from one over to the other if especially you know you kind of i don't know i feel like you start to get when you shoot a real nice comfortable back wall with a good valley and everything i think it's easy to get complacent with, with uh just being comfortable back there whereas you know, obviously the lower let off gets a lot more demanding pretty fast mm -hmm. and it takes a whole new training. Like even for me as as much as I've shot a bow, um, at the hunting weight that I pull, that cam is going to take me several weeks of training to get used to that. And I guess with that, um, with that PSC that I did shoot and just so everyone knows, I shoot everything. Um, every year I buy every bow I've got, um, I've got a new Bowtech over here. I've got an Elite. I've got the, I've got that Carbon Stealth, and I also have a Triax, and I also have a Halon Six. Um, so, there, um, I didn't really like the grip on the PSC one, if I'm honest, and I, I don't know if I'm a big fan of the stock strings. They build them pretty thin, um, but. I do feel like they've come a, a really long way with just their overall bow and like kind of the durability of it all. You know, if I'm looking at comparing PSE to quite a while ago, I think they've made a lot of really cool jumps and I feel like the cam is uh, much better than some of those cams that they had on bows about three or four years back. So I think, um, yeah, and there's, you know, there's a lot of people who, you know, th their dealer, their local dealer is a PSE person. 
You know, they don't have Hoyt. They don't have Matthews. They don't have Botech. So if that's the case, you know, which one is right for you? And uh, obviously it depends on your budget, but um, this one feels really good to pull back. And yeah. I think I, I think it's important for everybody to, you know, you have to go in and just pull a bow back and also, if, also feel it in your hand. I mean, when I was a Matthews shooter, I was always envious of the way Hoyt grips felt. I mean, I mean, I remember forever I'd be at a tournament and one of my buddies that were shooting Hoyts, I'd grab them and be like, God, that just feels so good when you grab a Hoyt grip. Mm-hmm. But, but the cam would feel, you know, the cam would feel a little bit more aggressive than what I wanted back, you know, back then, especially like when a lot of guys shot spiral cams, um, which were a polar opposite from what I shot. And, yeah, I couldn't get used to that part, but I I love the grip. So I think re- regardless of what brand you want, you know, get into a store, see how it feels in your hand, see how it feels even holding it up, you know, one of the one of the great things about Matthews is, you know, the how smooth they draw, they're quiet, but some of them are top heavy, you know, and that would be hard for me to get used to again. Um, yeah. you know, so there's but some people really like that. I mean, I've got friends that are like, man, I just love how this thing feels. And, you know, we all have preferences. I, uh, well, I'm wearing a pair of shoes right now. This is kind of, this is kind of weird. But, um, one of the things I kind of got excited about was when I left, when I decided to leave UA, you know, I've only worn UA for, you know, I think 11 years as a contracted person. But I was a UA person, you know, fan for 14. Um, so one of the things that I did was I went on a shopping spree um, to just buy shoes that weren't UA because I've only had UA shoes for so long because that's all I could wear. So I literally went to Nike. I went to a van store. I bought a pair, a couple pairs of vans. I did a couple custom pair of vans did a couple couple custom pair of nikes and i got two pairs of uh two pairs of nike shoes in the other day and let me see what they are i think it's called um these are called metcons um and i got in two one was like a mid top and one was a low top and i had one of my buddies here who is a nike athlete and i said yeah dude i got uh i ordered a couple pairs of nikes and i said here's what i got and he told me, he goes, I love those ones right there. Those ones are awesome. He goes, those Metcoms, which is actually what I'm wearing today, he said, I just don't really get along with that with that height. And he's like, I don't know. He's like, they're okay, but they're just, they're not as good as those ones. And I thought, eh, they just, they look the same to me. Like, <laughs> I, you know, well, yesterday I wore the ones that he said he liked the most. and And I was like, man, these are freaking sweet. I like these a lot. I worked out in them. Um, but then today I put on the ones that I actually thought that I was going to like the most. And he's right. They don't feel as good. Like, you know, they look, they look like they would feel better, but the other ones, at least to me and him are clearly better. And the only way you're going to know that is if you, if you get out there and try it, you know, that's how it goes for, that's really how it goes for bows. You know, I it, can... it really is. Yeah, I mean, there's everybody has a different uh, 
you know, a different preference, and, and a lot of it may be how you were taught, you know, what you kind of started with, I'm, I'm sure, too. But, you know, like I said, I mean, like me, I like I like shooting a bow with a side weight on it. Some guys don't. I like it because it feels like that because I shoot a bow quiver all the time, and so I like I like having a bow with a side weight because it helps me keep my bubble square. You know, um, my daughter Caitlin, who shoots very very well, we put a side weight on her bow, and it's it, I mean the bow's always leaning to the left all the time, and and she can't figure out why she's hitting to the left. So. Um, so, I mean, and, and I mean, I taught her everything she knows about archery, but it's just the way she grips the bow, the way her, you know, whether her, it's her mental side or her physical side, whatever it is, you put a side weight on her bow and, and you'll watch that bubble on one side all the time on, you know, it'll just keep creeping over there as she's aiming and, and, uh, but yeah, everybody has a, a different, uh, idea of what they like. I mean, I know guys that just love the, the, you know, that, uh, that cam that that pulls over hard and and you know it doesn't have a lot of room you know in, in a technical situation i mean you should be pulling into the wall all the time but i'm like you i, I get a little lazy sometimes and and particularly in a hunting situation man stuff's got to be forgiving and i go back to my old you know my old uh mental ways i mean especially when stuff's happening fast and things like that um you know i need something that 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 my mind will work with and uh you know so everybody's different and that's the thing get in there shoot some bows um feel them all feel how they feel in your hand i like to 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 pay attention to how how they hold on target too if you've got a sight on can you hold that solidly in the middle or is it you know is it moving around on you and can you change that by small drawing changes and things like that you know i'm a real big fan of of you know working with a bow until i can get that pen to hold on target without working at it too hard um and there's some ways to do that but i've had bows that i could never get them to hold well um you know too so and it's the next guy picks it up might be doing it might be fine with it so it's it really is a personal choice that's one of the neat things about archery is that it it really is a personal personal choice and nobody no two people are necessarily the same um, not like a rifle where you can, you know, if I sight in my rifle and I hand it to somebody else, they're going to be able to hit something with it. And not, not that way with a bow, but I think it's one of the kind of neat things about archery. It really is. It's an individual sport, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, was there anything you wanted to talk about? Is there anything you've been well, wanting to ask about or talk about? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I just appreciate the, the chance to be on. And, uh, you know, it's all, I always love visiting with you. You're one of the one of the true experts in this in this uh, industry that we enjoy and I, i'm really happy to anytime we want to bounce things off of each other um you know but right now i mean i've been kind of focusing on getting uh getting some uh little things done here so i can be gone starting next week and be out there hopefully hopefully having some fun and getting some animals on the ground maybe and uh yeah out there uh, out there doing it to it you know Um, well, technically, our seasons, we, we, the way the Hunting with Heck show works on Pursuit, um, we don't really have a new season. We do new episodes every month. So, and then sometimes we'll mix uh, some of the old ones in as well. But, um, like, for instance, this month, um, you and I are both hunting bulls right now. <laughs> so, uh, the show that's actually airing and it just started airing uh, last week um is uh, your bull up in alberta and then uh, my big arizona bull and then next month we're gonna get a see you whack a big montana bull 
on the show. So uh, oh, I haven't really even seen them. Yeah, <laughs> send me those. After, send me those after you edit them. <laughs> I yeah, even, for sure. I haven't even seen them. Yeah, no. Um, I need to have Rex, my producer, uh, do that. Um, and uh, but yeah, they just started airing. The one elk show just started airing. Uh, just uh, I think this last week. Um, and uh, like I said, the September one, I've got to see it. Um, it's, it's kind of finalized. It just won't air until September. So we'll uh, definitely shoot those over to you so you get to take a look at them. They came out well. They really did. Yeah, that'll be awesome. Yeah, that'll be awesome. So for those of you listening, we, we actually, both of those elk hunts, um, and I, I gave those to Mike because the hex um, encounters were crazy um, after I – well, one, uh, we had to absolutely sprint to get my shot on this uh, Alberta bull. He was getting ready to exit a field. I would say almost two miles is how far we spotted him heading down this fence line at first light. And we knew he was going to exit out the back end of this field uh, to head into the into the the big timber um, to kind of get into this big river basin so I mean we had to absolutely leg it and more or less waited for him to to come by and then he turned to go to go down into the timber where he heard other elk and and I gave him one call and he he ended up coming in and we were standing we were literally standing with hardly anything out there and i mean my heart was beating and that would have been one of those situations where you know if it's proven that they can see that that would have been an accelerated case because my heart rate was so high Uh, and um we shot the bull and then literally the bull went and piled up and some other um i think they were spikes or raghorns um, heard the very first call that I made and they were coming too but by the time I shot the one bull and he went and died they appeared and didn't really have any idea of what happened and we s- literally stood in the open while these bulls came I think there were two or three of them where they came to where they heard the call and literally just walked all around us and were l- literally looking at us standing in the wide open uh you know we were we were literally like on the edge of a pea field and they were just looking at us and walking all around and had literally had no idea what we were yeah yeah that's what we see all the time well i like I said that encounter if anybody wants to see it is on hunting with hex uh, this month on pursuit so check it out um you can check that stuff out online too a pursuit has a a thing they call pursuit up so it allows you to go online you can actually watch the shows online too so anybody who's interested in seeing that definitely should hop on there but it's a great encounter and it really is it's really indicative of what we see with hex technology and like i said sometimes uh you know it's it's pretty hard to explain it away after you after you've seen it so many times but uh, but we sure appreciate uh you know you sharing that video with us and and, of course, uh, you know, like I said, we've known each other a long time, so I always love visiting with you for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I can't wait to to hear how you do, and I wish you the best, man. You're uh, All right. a, well, a good great, luck to you too. great friend, and, and I sure, uh, sure appreciate everything you do for the industry as well. 
Uh, no problem. It's uh, been a lifelong joy. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> All right. Knock on, everybody. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.